they kind of be uh, some standalone messages is what I call them. They don't have really a, a theme connected to them, but uh, this one today I want to talk to you out of John chapter 1. Uh, the title theme would be, Hello, My Name is Jesus, and uh, today I want to talk to you about I Made It. I Made It. I'm kind of doing a preliminary lead-in to uh, what Kim is going to be preaching about next week in a little more in depth. He's going to He's going to, he's going to blow, your, blow your mind. So be here next Sunday. Brother Kim Morrow is going to be bringing the message. Uh, our son Corey and daughter-in-law Megan will be back to lead worship next Sunday. I know you're anxious to see them. And uh, would you work him over? That's just that's, that's certainly all right. I will be in Thayer, Kansas with uh, uh, Jack and Arlene Franklin's uh, son-in-law and daughter, uh, the camps. Uh, David is the pastor there and has graciously invited me to come and uh, just the great uh, friendship that we've had over the years. I'm looking forward to going and, and sharing with that congregation in Thayer, Kansas, wherever in the world that is. Uh, some of you may know, I don't think it's very far away. Uh, right by the New Haven... Oh, Hidden Haven Church Camp. Okay, well, maybe we'll be out there. I have no idea. <laughs> okay. But uh, Ralph Ransetter said, well, go convert those Kansans. I said, well, I'll do my best. I'm just across the border, so if I need help, I'll give a, I'll give a shout out. But today I want to talk to you about I made it out of John chapter 1. Did you hear about the group of scientists who got together and decided that man had come a long way and they no longer needed God? They picked one of their colleagues to tell God what, uh, that they were really done with him. <laughs> The learned scientist spoke to God and he said, God, we're to the point that we can clone people and do many miraculous things. So we've decided that we no longer need you. God listened patiently and then he said, well, sounds good. How about this? Let's have a man-making contest. To which the scientist replied, hey, that's great. But God added, now we're going to do this just like I did back in the old days with Adam. The scientist said, well, sure, no problem, no problem. He bit down and he picked up a handful of dirt. And God said, whoa, 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 whoa. Get your own dirt. <laughs> Fundamentally, everything that we see on this planet and in the universe had a beginning and an originator. And if that's true, who is the creator? Let's start with some facts. First of all, in John chapter 1. Verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. In arche, en ologo, kaiologos, pros tan theon. Is that not an impressive Greek translation of John 1 1? How about that? Bet you can't do that. It's Greek to you. Amen. That's why I read it in English. He said, oh, okay. Well, John's opening words tell us that Jesus, the first thing I want you to see under the facts idea, is that Jesus is eternally God. In these opening words, he says, in the beginning. Now, that's not... Some have said that's the, the, that's the first indication of the baseball being played in the Bible, in the big inning. 
in the beginning, it suggests not only the start, but the creation of the world. John describes Jesus as existing from the beginning. What your children and grandchildren are learning in school is contrary to this. That's why it's very important that you refresh them. You remind them of what this is. You debrief them from what's being taught at school. And teachers that are Christians who teach science and biology and chemistry, they struggle because their faith, they want to share their faith, but they are limited because of the school policy. So parents, grandparents, reinforce God's Word in your children. Second thing I want you to notice in verse 3 is that Jesus is the agent of God. Look what it says. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Oh, by the way, the verse 1 is the only one I remember <laughs> in Greek. So, But it's funny how things stay with you, isn't it? But through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. I'm struck by the fact that this is a declaration, not an argument. The Bible does not defend divine creation. It just simply declares it. In this verse, verse 3, we find a pair of words as we introduce Jesus. The two words are created and made. Very significant. Christianity has always believed in what is called creation out of nothing. <clears throat> we do not Pardon me. Believe that the world began with God and then something else. It's our belief as Christians that behind everything there is God and God alone. And only God creates something from nothing. He made his own dirt out of nothing. But we want to dig a little bit deeper. John says, through him all things were made. Notice that John uses the words through him, not by him. Very important. Reminds us that God is the source of all creation, but Jesus is that divine force that brought it into being. The words all things mean totality. Everything owes its existence to Jesus. He's the ultimate source of all things. Everything you see, the stars, the planets, the sun, the galaxies, trees, mountains, rivers, oceans, flowers, animals, people, all created by God through Jesus. Very important. The word made literally means became or has become. It communicates the idea that creation, you and me, and the entirety of the created order weren't just created but came into being. And those verbs were and was in that next phrase is in perfect tense, which means it's a completed act. We were discussing before Sunday school this morning how important it is to understand the original language. And the tragedy is, is that we don't teach that to you in the church. Because we preachers quit practicing it after we've learned it and we lose it. Because you see, study is probably the most important thing that I should be doing, but get distracted with so many other things that I get away from that aspect of what I do as the preacher of the church. Because I need to bring to you more information. You might say, well, what else you got to do? Wow, come follow me one day 
and it'll be fun. John goes on to say, without him, nothing was made that has been made. He offers and, 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 and often states truths in both the negative and the positive, so there would be no misunderstanding of what he's trying to say. The word nothing means that no one thing has its existence, much less significance, except as a created expression of Jesus Christ. Is that not a powerful thought? The emphasis is quite clear. Not one single thing was made that he did not make. Everything made was made by him. Thirdly, again in verse 3, we see that Jesus is the creator. And if we'll put in context verse 3 with verses 1 and 2, we see something amazing. We see two pairs of words. One is word in God. They flowed creation. The second pair... He's created and made. God is the source, but the word is the agent, the vehicle through whom he creates. In verse 1 and 2, the main truth is Jesus is God. And in verse 3, the main truth. And the third fact is, is that Jesus is the creator. The fact is not isolated. Uh, particularly to John. Paul clearly stated in Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. The author of Hebrews, in Hebrews 1.2, says this, In these last days he, God, has spoken to us by his Son, Jesus, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. <coughs> now facts are one thing, but is there anything to support those facts? Glad you asked. I want to give you four concepts and aspects of the creation and how they work out in Jesus. Jesus created out of nothing and or from existing materials. Creation involved the act of God in bringing into being immediately and instantaneously matter which did not previously exist. Let me give you an example. He spoke and the heavens and the earth came into existence. Creation also involved the shaping, combining, and transforming of existing materials. As when God created Adam from the dust of the ground in Genesis 2.7. And Eve from Adam's rib in Genesis 2.21 and 22. And oh, the story rages on from the rib incident. <laughs> Several of Jesus' miracles involved the creation of new material. In John chapter 2, Jesus was at a wedding reception where the wine ran out. Jesus, on his mother's insistence, instructed the waiters to fill six stone water jars that could hold 20 to 30 gallons each of water. And in John 2, 8 9, it says this, So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. So miraculously and instantaneously, the creation of the carbon atoms and the chemical molecules that made up the grape sugar, carbon dioxide, coloring matter, and so forth, wine occurred. <laughs> like that. He created something out of nothing. Another example is in John 6, 5-14, when he fed the multitude of the 5,000. He did it on another occasion with 4,000. I don't know what he did. He either caused the original... <laughs> fish and loaves to expand or he just somehow got it all to work created new loaves new fish 
But whatever happened, he created sufficient extra bread and fish, not only to feed the thousands present, but to have 12 basketfuls left over. One for each of the apostles to carry to the boat they were going to get on where the storm rose and they got afraid. <laughs> wonder why each of them had their own basket. Yeah. How many times has God blessed you only to have Satan attack you and you instantly curl up in fear? <laughs> He'll bring you through it. Brought you through it before. You think he's going to forget you now? Well, you just don't know pretty well. Okay. How about John 9? Another example. Jesus healed the blind man. <coughs> it involved instant repair of tissues, nerves, and muscles. Instantaneous growth or regrowth of healthy cells. In result was the creation of healthy eyes that replaced diseased and non-functioning eyes. I love the story of Malchus's ear getting cut off. And while Jesus is talking to the crowd, I think he's putting this ear back on this guy. And when, and, and when he puts it back on the guy, the guy instantly begins to hear out of that ear that was just cut off. And he probably asked for some water or something. He began to wash the guy's the blood off the guy's side of his head and his neck. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? That'd be a great sermon sometime. I done lost my ear, Vincent Van Gogh. Second thing we know about Jesus is that he gives life. Creation involved the imparting of life to otherwise lifeless matter. Is there a parallel with Jesus? We gave life to the dead on three occasions. A widow's son in Luke 7, Jairus' daughter in Luke 8, and, and his friend Lazarus in John 11. In the case of Lazarus, the body had been in the grave for four days, and Martha's words were recorded in John eleven thirty nine. 39. By this time, there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. So decomposition had already begun. Wasn't a pleasant sight. So the parallel is, is the same thing that happened on the sixth day of creation when God formed Adam from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Adam became a living being. <coughs> he calls Lazarus back to life. The molecules of matter that were in the process of becoming dust became a living human being. Thirdly, Jesus' method was speaking the word and it happened. The method of creation was that God spoke and it happened. Kind of like when you were growing up, when your dad spoke, things happened. <laughs> when your mother spoke, things happened. Because they had a certain tone and a certain uh, size of vein on the side of their neck <laughs> and a certain volume in the voice. Things happened. Amen. And then we would quickly say, just calm down, Mom. It's okay. Too late by then. She's ready to kill you. She uses the uh, uh, Bill Cosby phrase, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. <laughs> Any of you ever get that thrown at you? <laughs> I think I grew up like a lot of you guys did. Jesus appeared in a, to use a variety of means of performing his miracles, including touching lepers, the blind, the deaf. He used saliva to heal a deaf mute and a blind man. Use clay with instruction to wash to heal a blind man. And the word of command to heal, to raise the dead, to exercise demons. But what happened in, in all of Jesus' miracles was that Jesus willed the event to happen and it did. The fact is illustrated beautifully when Jesus healed the nobleman's son in John 4. Jesus was in Cana of Galilee and a royal official approached him and 
traveling to Capernaum to heal his son. And he was close to death. And John records what happened in, in John 4. Jesus replied, you may go, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. And while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and all his household believed. Yeah, I would believe too, wouldn't you? But here's what's interesting about that event. Capernaum was 17 miles from Cana. There was no way that anyone in Cana could have heard Jesus say these words to this official. And yet, by the spoken word, the boy is healed at a distance of 17 miles. Jesus willed the water to become wine as it was being taken to the wedding feast in Cana. So it did. He willed the bread and the fish to form, and they did. And then fourthly, Jesus received glory from these miracles. In Psalm 19 and verse 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Glory. Glory means God's presence. God's presence. To receive glory is to praise, to recognize the importance of someone else. It's always good to sing praises of other people. Amen. We have a wonderful church here. And so many of you do so many things. Most of them are behind the scenes and nobody ever sees or knows them. What I love about Kim Morrow the most is that he doesn't want any fanfare for what he does. He just goes about his business. Loving on kids. Well, I'm telling you. He's got a wonderful family that loves him and pushes him out there. But I'm grateful for their sacrifice to let him work with these kids. And what a difference it makes. Oh, sometimes you got to dangle an Xbox in front of them. And you might say, well, there you go. They're only coming for the Xbox. But while I've got them coming for the Xbox for six weeks, I've got a chance to put Jesus in there. And you'll never know the impact. You guys set up straight when I said I was going to give away a new car. Oh, all right. Now I've got... That'd be fun, wouldn't it? That'd be fun. I know a guy gave away a ski-doo. He had it sitting up in front of the church. And they had to do something to get it. And that was, I don't know. Sad that we've got to do that, I guess. But we're all driven that way. We're consumers. Amen? I wish the greatest consumption that we sought was the written Word of God. I wish that was our greatest consumption that we were seeking after so much. But whatever it takes, we need to get a chance to share the message of Christ with people. So let's take it. Remember when I preached from the roof of the church? Oh, my wife would pass out if I tried to climb up there now. So would I. <laughs> the best part, Mark was 10 and we missed him after church and looked around and he was up there where I was. <laughs> he shot right up that ladder and just standing on that on that platform, just looking like he was large in charge. Yeah, I definitely need an anchor rope this time, I think, if I went up there. Jesus received glory after working miracles. In, in John 2, 1, it says, He thus revealed His glory, and His disciples put their faith in Him. 
In John 11:4, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Jesus is the Creator God. Not only Scripture uh, affirms it, but during His earthly life and ministry, He did very uh, much many things that, he would, uh, that we would expect only a Creator God could do. And He did them in a way that, would, that you'd expect that Creator God to do them. By His word of authority and the exercise of His will. And through the doing of them, He displayed His glory. Now, we've got facts, we've got support. But what does all it mean? What are the implications of these truths? First of all, Jesus has a claim on all things. The world is not yours. It's God's. Like the old hymn says, this is my Father's world. A city girl was taken to the country and when she saw the bluebells in the woods, she asked... Do you think God would mind if I picked some of His flowers? And that's really the pronoun that we should all use because none of it's ours. It's all His. And so if you're going to take a little time today to do something, say, God, can I have a little bit of your time? Can I have a little bit of your world? Can I have a little bit of you? What You see what I'm saying? Put the emphasis where it ought to be. And as we close, I'm going to ask some questions. What right do we have to lay claim on anything since Jesus is the Creator? He's also, secondly, incomprehensible. Consider the breadth and the depth of the universe. National Geographic describes the expanse of the universe in this way. When I read this, it just blew me away. Listen to this. Imagine that the thickness of, of a sheet of paper represents the distance from the earth to the sun. That's 93 million miles. Just the, just the thickness of a piece of paper. When you use that scale, the distance to the nearest star is a 71-foot stack of paper. The diameter of our own galaxy is a 310-mile stack of paper. While the edge of the known universe is not reached until the pile of paper is 31 million miles high. And He created all that by what He said? Question. How can we think of ourselves as so big and so important and so prideful when the vastness of the universe is beyond any intellectual capacity? The psalmist wrote in Psalm 8, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? <clears throat> Jesus thirdly holds us together. Jesus said, I am the, I'm not only the universe maker, but I will hold you together. <clears throat> I am big enough to be acquainted with all your circumstances, all your problems, all your worries, all your situations. I will hold you together. How do we know that that to be true? Well, we've got to look deep in our own bodies. You ever heard of laminin? I should have a picture up there. In Colossians 1.17 it says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Uh, laminins are a, and this came from the Wikipedia, laminins are a family of proteins that are an integral part of the structural scaffolding of basement membranes in almost every animal tissue. Laminins are what hold us together, literally. They are cell adhesion molecules. They are what hold one cell of our bodies to the next cell. And without them, we would literally fall apart. They're the rebar of the human body, the glue that holds us together. 
Now, when you look at that picture, what do you see? I see a cross, don't you? Scientists have isolated this molecule. Millions of them were being held together by the cross. Is that not an awesome picture? And Paul described it for us. I've got just verse 17 up there, but let me read 15 and 16 also. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. (laughs) I love that last phrase, that all things hold together. Thousands of years before the world knew anything about laminin, Paul wrote those words. And now we see it literally. Another question. How can we be worried about our struggles and frustrations and setbacks in life itself knowing that Jesus holds us together? And then fourthly, Jesus left his mark on creation. We see the mark in the cross with laminin, then our own bodies in that diagram, but I ran across another one that just blew me away. The Hubble telescope. And with that Hubble telescope, we're able to see more of God's creation than ever before. I've been able to look to the farthest reaches of our solar system through the lens of that, of that Hubble telescope. You can even see Plato. That little planet way out there doesn't get much respect. But when you look deep within ourselves, we see the cross. But when we look at the edge of our solar system, we also see a cross. This is the, on the left is the Whirlpool Galaxy. And this galaxy is, uh, gets its name because it's, it's in a, it looks like there's a hole in the, being, you know, sucked down in the middle. The picture on the right is a direct picture taken through the white center. Scientists call it the X factor. But what symbol do you see? <laughs> Scientists are afraid to call it the cross. So within our solar system, at the very edge of our solar system, when we look into a distant galaxy, we still see the mark of Jesus. He's not only holding us together, He's holding the universe together, and God said it was so. Amen. So why? Why do we worry? Last question. As the worship team comes to close. Has he left his mark in your heart? The thing that has always baffled me about Jesus is why in the world did he not uh, set it up so that we would uh, be able to uh, know who he is and be able to find him when we need to find him? And uh, why why didn't he set it up so that we just became what he wanted us to become? And I don't know. I don't know that answer. But he still wants you and me to make a personal decision. He still wants you and me to make a personal choice. Even though he's holding us together, even though he's holding the universe together, and in all the universe, he's still looking to us to come to him. He's begging us to come to him. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we...
wonder. Have you left a mark in our heart? Do you know? Do we know you personally? Have we trusted in your finished work on the cross to save us? Or are we still trying to do it on our own power? Are we still trying to make you wait for us? Well, you've come, you've created, you've given life, you hold us together in the very remotest molecules in all of our bodies. However far out in the galaxy you want to go, we still find the mark of Jesus. And yet, we get so proud that we won't surrender to you. We get so self-absorbed that we just say, well, I don't know if I can follow Christ the way I should. We get so let's just fill in the blank. When God, the essence of what you want from us is a heart that is surrendered, a life that is dedicated. And so, God, we ask you today to stir the hearts of your people. There are people sitting in this room who absolutely are afraid to go deeper in you. They are absolutely afraid. They're content and complacent to stay right where they are. They don't want anybody to rock their world, to sit where they sit, to talk to them in a certain way, to encourage them in something that they don't want to do. They want it all handed to them on a silver platter because they think they are something else. When in essence, we are just one beggar giving bread to another beggar. God, we all stand in the need of forgiveness. We all stand in the need of salvation. And Father, complacency, being satisfied is not where you want us to be. God, would you stir those hearts today? I think there's people in this room, God, that just are waiting for you to stir them. They're beginning to awaken something in them that they haven't had in a long time and they're ready to see something great happen. God, would you stir in them too? But Father, it'll never get happen. It'll never happen. It'll never get stirred until, until we surrender. So God, I'm praying for those today that they'll surrender on wherever they find themselves. They'll understand that deep in our, each of our bodies is your mark. And Father, deep in this universe that you created is your mark. And all we've got to do is lean on you. Father, whatever struggle may be in our life, whatever problem we may face, we're ready for you to take over. In Jesus' name, amen. Hymn of invitation, if you have a decision to make, the elders will be here at the front. Uh, Please.